Hi, it's Rainy G with the Holistic Health Hotline. It doesn't sound too much like a health, line, health, health hotline anymore, does it? Um, but it is because I'm the spirit of Americans and the spirit of my country and the mind and the body is exhausted from all the stuff that's that's been going on that people can't even keep straight anymore. Um, so I'm going to try to connect some more dots for you because it is absolutely imperative that people understand exactly what's going on um, because it's much deeper than what you hear about on television much much more connected than what you'll read in the newspapers or what your friends are telling you or especially what mainstream media is telling you and for those of you who listen to MSNBC I want you to do a little homework for me and go back to some of the um, the terrible revolutions that have happened not the ones that were positive but negative like uh, uh, like like Chile okay um, when Augusto Pinochet killed all those people including Americans and took over the media and um, so there were three channels on television and everybody thought everything was fine because the television told them so um, MSNBC and NBC is owned by this administration so if that's what you're listening to you're certainly probably not listening to me anymore now go to the other side you hear Fox News um, considered I don't know radical right wing or something uh, and the people on Fox News like Glenn Beck and O'Reilly and Hannity <coughs> who who are considered right-wing conservatives you know okay so Hannity was once going to be a, a priest and Glenn Beck was an alcoholic who is now a dry alcoholic and O'Reilly was an English school teacher who, um, uh, who writes books and and um, thinks he's not spinning anything and and they're all part of this Fox News network that everybody considers not news and then you've got some of the ones in the middle like ABC and CNN who um, uh, you know, are scared a little bit <laughs> about what's going on in CBS. And then, then you have the BBC. I don't know if any of you ever listen to BBC news on the radio or anything, but they tell some truth. It's just that they're tied also to uh, the UK, and <clears throat> they have to be careful of what they say so they don't upset anybody. <clears throat> anyway, it's, uh, it's time to get real serious because... Um, all of this healthcare stuff has is, is got people pretty riled up, and it's good. But once again, um, we're going down this little path of, of only looking at that and hearing a few things here and there and not connecting the dots and putting the whole picture together. Here's what's really going on, people. It's, um, it's kind of massive, and it's scary. And a lot of people are going to town hall, town hall meetings saying that they're scared, and it's understandable that they are. Um, but I don't want you to be scared. I want you to be educated. I want you to understand what's going on. Okay, health care reform was just one of the main policies that Obama wanted to push through. Uh, he actually wanted to push through before he went on vacation. And everybody should ask the question, why Why was it so important? And I gave you some of the answers to that, that he has an agenda with Gamaliel, that's G-A-M-A-L-I-E-L, um, that he worked for as a community organizer, and they laid out a 10-year agenda that they wanted universal health care by the, by the end of 2010. Um, but, you know, the end of August wasn't the end of 2010, but um, he thought that maybe he could get something passed in the Senate or have the two committees come together and he'd have something on his desk and 
maybe it would all get passed by December, so it's by 2010. I don't know if it's going to happen. Depends on what the Democrats do, if they try to push it through with 51 votes or or uh, or less. I don't think they can with less, but uh, who knows what they're going to try to do. Kennedy, of course, is trying to get um, rewrite a law so in case he dies or is too sick to vote, um, somebody can be appointed immediately. Now, five years ago, he had the law rewritten in Massachusetts so that a Republican couldn't take a Senate seat in case something like that happened. Now that he thinks he might get sick, he wants the law rewritten again so that he can appoint somebody to his seat. It's like a little power thing, isn't it? Isn't it amazing how some people like the Kennedys, and I voted for JFK, I just never liked Teddy. I think he's a liar and a, and a killer, but um, a murderer. Um, but uh, it's amazing how they feel like if they need a law change, they just say rewrite the law. Because I need to know that this is going to happen, so rewrite it for me now. And already, I mean, it took what two days? The the um, um, one of the Supreme Court justices in the state of Massachusetts, that state Supreme Court, has said, "Yeah, we're probably going to do that to make sure that that's covered, because we, you know, we wouldn't want to not have a vote from the Kennedy who has pushed this for most of his life to make sure there's universal health care." Now, let's first get straight what universal health care is, because I, I certainly get into a lot of fights or arguments on Facebook and Twitter and blogs and phones and emails and everything else from people who um, should be very learned about many things. I mean, let's let's pick one. I, I know she won't listen to this podcast, so I'm not even worried about it, but, but um, she's a lawyer, originally from New York City, who lives up north, and I just came back from a trip up north, and... Um, I've probably known her for 25 years or more, okay? And we took some classes together that were considered um, leftist kind of classes. I mean, I told you all before, I taught women's studies. I've, I uh, I studied Marxist feminism. I studied um, socialism. I So when I talk about all these things, I know what I'm talking about. I've been on both sides of this fence. I've worked for corporate America. I've been a small business owner. I have been in the military. I'm a female, so I was a minority. I have, um, I'm a single parent, so I know what that's like. I've lost, um, uh, friends to, to vaccinations and poor health, health care. I've been in the health, alternative health field for more than 40 years. And on that other side, when I was in college, I did all the things that some of these people, I listened to them. I said, wow, that's cool. We're supposed to, you know, be anti-war. I was anti-war when I was in the Marines. But I still respected my flag and my country. I looked at the anti-war movement as a policy difference, not a kill the country difference. Um, I probably could have been arrested for treason because I, I went to a rally once, an anti-war rally while I was in the service. And I think that's illegal, but I don't know. Um, I always follow what my spirit and my heart tell me to do. And, and I knew that after, this was 1970, just before, 71, just before they bombed Hanoi, I knew something was very wrong, what we were doing, and, and I was losing so many friends. Of course, I got emotional about it, and I went there. But the point of telling you that story is, for those of you who are new to this podcast, you might not understand where I'm coming from, but I, I've been around the block many times. I'm 59 years old, and um, and I've, like I said, I've, I've done both. I even tried at one point... Uh, to write Obama and say, look, I, I took the same course as you took, but I, but I didn't step over the line and say, this is, this is what we have to do is take over a country, transform it from a capitalist country to a, to a third world banana republic. 
I never said that. That's for damn sure. Do I agree with imperialism? No. Am I an isolationist? Probably more so than an imperialist. I, I um, studied isolationism and imperialism. I studied the beginning of money and what, where money came from and what the barter system was all about. I was a financial advisor. I have my Series 24, Series 7, Series 63, life insurance, health insurance licenses. So I know all those things. I go on both sides. I'm not a Republican or a Democrat. I'm truly an independent, although when I take the tests online to say what you are because people send me those things, I, I turn out to be a, a centrist libertarian according to their, their rules. So do I know exactly where I stand? No. And yes, I know exactly where I stand with health, body, mind, spirit, politics, and my country. And um, <clears throat> and I study history. I've been a student of history forever. I wrote a history paper when I was in second grade that caused my teacher to go to my father's restaurant and get drunk because he asked for a two-page paper from a second grader that's pretty long, and I wrote 31 pages um, because I was into it. No, did it, that was my A any better than anybody else's? No. Did it mean anything in second grade? No. Did it mean something to me? Absolutely. That I could understand the roots of the, the town that I lived in and how it evolved into what it was and where the problems were. That's where forget the cures, find the causes comes from. I don't look at these little cures and what do we do about this thing in healthcare and what do we do about that person over there and what do we do to stop this from happening over there. I look at the whole picture and find the cause of all this. And, and this particular cause that's going on right now is very deeply embedded in our history. Okay, We just celebrated 40 years of Woodstock. Um, Woodstock was an outpouring of a generation that was also tired of war, was tired of getting shot at at Kent State, um, was tired of getting beaten up at the Democratic National Conventions and things like that. And, and all they could preach, they were way on the left and liberal, um, all they could preach was love, love, love. <clears throat> they believed in the Beatles and Bob Dylan and and um, Janice, Janice Joplin and, you know, and I knew those people. I know all those people. I <laughs> You know, I, I followed all that stuff. Um, so they said love love is the answer, not war. Make love, not war. Make love, not war. Um, and, and that was not a bad message. I never thought it was. I, I did think that sometimes when we go that way, we go into denial. I mean, I have a lot of people currently who would rather say, oh, I don't even want to hear all that. I'm just going to pray and, and know that everything's okay. Well, denial can kill you if you're not careful. So <clears throat> my role has always been to be the, the educator and the messenger. I know about things usually way before they happen. And for those of you who have been listening to me for years now, you know that some of the ways I show that is um, with hurricanes and, and um, news stories that come out two weeks after I talk about them. And... Uh, you know, different things like that. I could talk about the future today. I was trained as a shaman, so, yep, I've got Native American grandmothers and and uh, learned a lot from them. was buried underground at one point and, and uh, had to survive that, so I understood what the earth was about. How many of you have done any of the things I've even talked about in the last five minutes? I have a lot more to do. Okay, but I learned all those things and, and and also learned that I had a responsibility. Now, for many years of my life, that responsibility was to not tell anybody really what was going on because nobody was ready for it. Over the last, um, 
home, maybe uh, seven or eight years, I guess it's been, I have been being told that it's time to share a lot of that information. And so I have been slowly and the best way I can to help people understand the whole picture, to look at their relationship to themselves, to God, to their country, to the universe, to the globe, to all the other countries around us, to the people around us, and find yourself... Um, in a way that you haven't found yourself before because this of course was the me generation everything is about me 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 and nobody cared about what else was happening which is why we are where we are here today <laughs> you know um, we've had a lot of presidents and we've had I mean I was born in 1950 so Dwight Eisenhower was president then and he warned he warned before he left office that the military industrial complex was going to destroy us and and that was all about the imperialism that was now raging through our veins because we felt this um, newfound power. Here we were, this young country, who had struggled through so many things. We we got caught up in World War One, and and we had the dust bowls going on, and the famines going on, and all kinds of of um, ethnic things happening as people spread across the country, and uh, and then we get into World War Two and. Um, and we and we become very productive. I mean, our manufacturing processes were amazing. We made airplanes and bombs and ammunition and clothes and and uh, mostly the women who were in the the plants then. But we we found ourselves understanding that we could do things we never thought we could do before. Um, Post World War Two, we we built an infrastructure road and bridge program throughout the United States to make it easier not only for us to commute and for goods to be commuted, but also to defend ourselves in case of another enemy attack. Does anybody realize that? Do you realize that the way the roads are built is so that we can surround an enemy if they ever infiltrated our country and also so that we can defend our cities um, individually if we have to and, and statewide if we have to? Um, because the states are really in charge of many of that initial, many of those initial defenses. So our whole infrastructure was built on that premise that in case we we're ever attacked again, this is this is um, this is our way out, our way in, our way around, our way through the enemy. Um, created a lot of jobs, did a lot of things, but. But then Korea happened, and North and South Korea happened, and we became these policemen, and we said, oh, we got to go, because they're asking us to go. Um, we had to go rebuild some of the places because we were Americans. We felt bad that we destroyed things, because America's always been a society of builders, of, of innovators, of ideas, of new things. And so we go rebuild, you know, Germany and France and, and any place else, and and. England and any place else we might have caused some problems. We spend a lot of money doing it. We always feel guilty and send more money there whenever we can to anybody who might be, you know, having trouble. We did that for years. Um, we move into uh, post Korea and post Eisenhower and um, and post FDR. Oh, wait a minute. Let me back up and go back to FDR because Obama keeps comparing himself to FDR and Lincoln. Lincoln, believe me. Lincoln said something that oh that people should always remember and I will get it for you in a second but um, FDR wasn't the great president that everybody thinks he was or believes he was I mean he had um, some very progressive communistic socialistic ideas that were passed on from from his family to ours and and uh, we need to understand that he was 
that kind of person. He wanted everybody to have a house, everybody to have a car, everybody to be on welfare, everybody to have social security, social security, okay, all security, and some of those things are very nice, and because of what all the things we went through that he caused, um, we needed those things, or Medicare, you know, those kinds of things, it was Johnson who, who created Medicare, but um, but his ideas came from the progressive movement that started with Teddy Roosevelt, really, and has been going on all these years. But I, want you, I want to read something to you that, that Abraham Lincoln said. Um, and it, it, it totally, it totally applies to today. So if Obama understands Lincoln, he should be reading this, okay? It's a direct quote. You cannot bring about prosperity by discouraging thrift. You cannot strengthen the weak by weakening the strong. You cannot help the wage earner by pulling down the wage payer. You cannot further the brotherhood of man by encouraging class hatred. You cannot help the poor by destroying the rich. You cannot keep out of trouble by spending more than you earn. You cannot build character and courage by taking away man's initiative and independence. You cannot help men permanently by doing for them what they could and should do for themselves. Now, what we have going on today is prosperity being totally destroyed. Um, Obama's tenet is that you should take from the rich and give to the poor. That's Robin Hoodish, isn't it? Makes him a hero, doesn't it? Um, doing for people what what they should be doing for themselves now he's 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 um he's a walking contradiction because on the one side when he was doing his community community organizing back in 1995 and 99 um he would run into people on the street black people and and yell at them and say what are you this is all you want to make of yourself you know you need to get your shit together and do this and that and the other on the other hand, because he's he's done all this work and been part of all these very leftist radical organizations that are communistic in stature, but they're really um, uh, progressive totalitarians. Uh, not fascists. Fascists are right-wingers. Totalitarians are left-wingers. Um, <clears throat> fascist movements have always been right-wing movements. So when, when people like even Glenn Beck say that Obama's a fascist, it's impossible. <clears throat> He's a totalitarian. That's what he is. And look up totalitarianism, Google it, and read all about it. Because um, as you read the tenets of totalitarianism, you will start to see uh, a lot of commonalities about what's going on now. And, and the evolution of that, that you, that you, you know, you take over the financial institutions. You make sure that you have the right people in charge of those so that the money gets directed to where you need it to be directed to, whether that's other countries or your own people or whatever. Um, that's why he, Obama, has appointed the um, president of the AFL-CIO to be the, the new director of, or president of the Federal Reserve Bank. Okay, got the head of the unions in charge of our money. Hmm, very interesting, isn't it? But anyway, um, totalitarianism also believes in taking over the transportation structure of the country, which means owning car companies and deciding who can drive what and how much they can drive and, and what it's going to cost and things like that. We had the Cash for Clunkers program, or, you know, Obama touted that as a success. I hope you all understand that there are now thousands of dealers out there struggling with bankruptcy again because the government hasn't paid them upwards of millions of dollars. Um, they were supposed to get paid back within 10 days of every sale. People who sold cars on July 25th have not seen anything that's 30 days later. These people need cash flow to make payroll. They need cash flow to reintroduce their inventories. 
um, to balance their books. And <clears throat> and they're doing all the paperwork and trying, but the only dealers, or not only, I can't say that, because, you know, you might have a dealer who sold 800 cars and he's been paid for three, so that covers that somebody's behind there. But if you look at the percentage of dealers who have been paid back and how, it's the GM dealers who have gotten paid back right away. Now, what? how does this make sense? That it's our tax dollars who provide the stimulus dollars, $700 billion, and the um, bailout dollars to GM over and over again, and Chrysler. We pay the taxes on that and also give 40, we, we, not the government, give $4,500 to people to go out and buy a new car. Excuse me. To go out and buy a new car and trade in their clunker. This is all supposed to be all for the, the greening of America, right? <clears throat> so so supposedly this is supposed to help poor people who couldn't afford to buy cars otherwise. So poor people or others come in with their clunkers and they get a $4,500 rebate through the dealer who is this poor entrepreneurial small business working guy who sometimes makes buku bucks, but a lot of them are small shops. And um, he does the paperwork, and they drive away with a new car, and he goes to the government and says, okay, I did this, and this is how much the new car cost, and it's all in line with the, with the regulations and requirements. I want my $4,500 back, and the government says it's in the mail, except for GM and Chrysler, because we paid that money. So now we paid the money, the 4500 goes in the rebate, and the government pays the dealer out of our money to have provided the rebate, but it's to a GM dealer that the government owns 70% of. So they paid themselves. And that's what they're doing with money throughout the Federal Reserve and the Treasury, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. New $9 trillion debt projection, uh, it's going to get higher than that. Okay, you can't, if you spend a million dollars a minute, you can't spend $9 trillion in 230 lifetimes. You can't spend it. A million dollars a minute. You can't do it. That's how big this is. Now, we used to think that when George Bush was in office, there was $860 billion deficit because of the Iraq War. $860 billion is like one cent to a billion dollars when it comes to trillions. So he, he, he cost us one cent of a billion dollars compared to this $9 trillion debt. I mean, how can you even compare that? Besides the fact that we're going to have to go back to Iraq, mark my words, because um, <laughs> the Taliban's going to be in Iraq, and Al-Qaeda's going to be in Iraq, and Obama has committed himself to that, so he can't get out of it now. We've also had, as of today, the worst year ever in Afghanistan, ever. Okay, we're in eight years now. The worst year ever in the number of U.S. deaths in Afghanistan. Where are all the anti-war protesters now? Why aren't they saying what you're doing is wrong? Well, why aren't we saying, get somebody in there who's a real gung-ho patent kind of person? You know, don't send in 12,000 advisors and 5,000 civilians at a time. You go out there and you get a million good Marines and soldiers and you go blast the hell out of that country. Move the women and children to one area that you know is secure and bomb the hell out of it. And be done with it. <laughs> okay, now everybody's going to say, oh, you're a warmonger. No, I'm not. But the, you know what? The longer you... You make things go on, the more people we lose. This is what happened in Vietnam. Same thing. It would have happened in World War Two. We had the anniversary of the bombing of Hiroshima um, uh, three or four weeks ago. Um, 
and Nagasaki, and people were calling into to talk shows saying, you know, we, we're the only country who ever did that, and we're no good, and we shouldn't have done it, blah, blah. Well, you didn't fight in a war. I guarantee you, you're not a veteran if you say those things. Because if you fight in a war, and you keep seeing people dying, and you keep see, seeing people dying, and you, you go through this over and over and over and over again, and then somebody says, you know what, we're going to drop a big bomb, it's going to kill a lot of people, it's going to be a lot of collateral, collateral damage, but it's going to stop the war. And they do it, and the war stops. Yep, a lot of people died. Probably, though, one-third of the number of people who would have continued to die if they didn't do it. I'm not a warmonger. Yes, I am an ex-Marine. I am a nationalist. I believe in my country. Do I believe in bombs? No. But I understand the strategies and what's gone on since the beginning of time when it comes to war and civilizations and how people have to do what they need to do for the greater good, if that's the way you have to look at it. And um, that's not a sacrifice. It's not... Um, uh, it's, uh, I don't even know what you call it. It's, it's an understanding of the processes of war and, and what's going to happen if you don't do what you have to do. And believe me, I did the research and I wrote uh, a screenplay about some of the people involved in, in the bombing of Hiroshima. I know what they went through. I know what it did to them. I mean, it caused one to have multiple heart attacks. It broke his heart. But he's responsible. He was responsible for two and a half million soldiers. And they were dying by the hundreds and thousands. And if it was your son, your brother, your father, your husband, because mostly it was men those days, um, and, and everybody, and, and they put, a, put it out for a vote, do you want us to continue to do this for the next 5 or 10 or 15 years, or would you like us to drop a bomb and get this over with, even though it may kill civilians? What would you answer? If you'd say, yeah, we'd like to know, or, or you'd say, what, just get out? We were, we were attacked by Japan. You're just going to leave? <laughs> what are you going to do? Stand in your house with your 10 guns? You know? Or pray, or go to the wailing wall, or get down on the mats, or what? What are you going to do when people are trying to take over your territory? I've, I've said this in another podcast before. If somebody tries to break into your house, what do you do? Hug them? Do you say, let's sit down and talk? Um, now, now think about it. They've come in with guns and knives and uh, bombs, and, and they could care less about whether you live or die. Their mission is to make a statement of some kind, whether that statement is that they're richer because they robbed from you or they're stronger because they overtook you or they're going to be richer because they're going to kidnap you or um, they're satisfying some inherent need to destroy so they're going to kill you. And and you have three kids and they break in your house. I don't care if you're man or woman. You know, you're the mother father of these of these children. And here they are. Now you have a choice. You can sit down and talk to them. Um, you can hug them. You can stand your ground with your fist clenched. You can be prepared ahead of time and fight them, block them. If they aren't able to be blocked, what are you going to do if they break the door down? Waiting for that Brinks Home Security to show up? They're going to call your phone, let it ring 12 times. If you don't answer, they may call somebody and who shows up 10 minutes later. By then, you're dead. Okay, so what are you going to do? And I don't know what the answer is. I mean, I know when I talk about it here, you know, and I, I say Elsa or Lori or my mother or, or John or Ken or whoever, I say, well, what would you do? And they say, you know, half the people, half of us say, if I had a gun, I'd shoot him. And the other half say, I don't think I could shoot anybody. Well, it comes to that point where you have to understand what your capabilities are and what, what your strengths are and what your weaknesses are. And so that's what we did. So World War II went by and, and everybody was um, done with Korea and we went into a... Um, another evolution of things going on, except except we had this 
this movement during World War II, this progressive movement that started with FDR, and they couldn't make headway. I mean, they couldn't get people to say, now that the war's over, let's turn into this country where the rich don't exist anymore and capitalism doesn't exist anymore. Let's, let's do all these kinds of things. They couldn't get people to follow that, and they kept getting defeated. Um, even with uh, with elections, they'd get semi-progressive people voted in, but they couldn't get the real progressive people voted in. So, you know, they formed um, community groups, and they formed this, and they formed that. And, you know, that's where people like Saul Alinsky came from um, as we moved into the 60s in the Vietnam War. Uh, he was born in Chicago and was a community organizer, and he wrote the Radical Handbook on Community Organizing, which most of you have probably not read. And you need to. Because if you if you don't know who he is and what he wrote, how can you possibly understand what's going on now? Okay, um, he he was he was dead before um, uh, Obama got to Chicago, but he wrote the books. Okay, he wrote the main one was the radical radical community organizers book, whatever it's called. I I don't have it down in front of me, nor do I care. Um, but he wrote the books that even Hillary Clinton wrote a thesis about. is is all about how to organize. What do you do? Okay? Um, and the rules about organizing, which you need to know. You know, how do you freeze your enemy? How do you target an enemy so that they'll do what you want them to do? How do you make people afraid? How do you, if you're going to organize as a president, let's say you're a president, but you're really a community organizer, how do you organize through all these different groups to to meet your to get your mission taken care of your mission being whatever that is if that's to change america how about these words fundamentally transform the united states of america if that's your mission how do you as a community organizer get that done anybody know any answers up there <laughs> i don't know let's see i think you are part of and are driven by and are and are um uh, mentored by people who know how to do this. Now, Alinsky had like, I think it was 12, maybe 11 rules, okay? Um, and I'm going to read them to you. I'm just going to tell you how he taught people because you need to know this. Power is not only what you have, but what an opponent thinks you have. If your organi organization is small, hide your numbers in the dark and raise a noise that will make everyone think you have many more people than you do. Number two, never go outside the experience of your people. The result is confusion, fear, and retreat. So, you know, you have to understand um, the different levels of experience that your groups have, whether that's ACORN or SEIU or whatever. Whenever possible, go outside the experience of an opponent because you want to cause confusion, fear, and retreat. So if you know that you have um, an audience of... Uh, senior citizens at a health reform, health care reform town hall, make sure that you talk about things they've never heard of. Try to go talk about what's happening on the Internet in relationship to, to health care and what's happening with, with kids who are 20 years old because it's outside of their experience. It will cause confusion, fear, and retreat because they don't know how to answer you. Okay, number four, make opponents live up to their own book of rules. You can kill them with this, he says, for they can no more obey their own rules than the Christian church can live up to Christianity. So if your opponent is um, quoting the Constitution, make sure that you quote the Constitution back how they're breaking the rules because that's how you kill them. That's like they can't obey, the, they can't obey your own rules and don't tell me about it. 
Now, number five is the one they use the most. Ridicule is man's most potent weapon. It's hard to counterattack ridicule, and it infuriates the opposition, opposition, which then reacts to your advantage. What they're looking for is a reaction. So you hear this ridicule going on constantly, constantly. This is what the blame game is all about. This is how um, MSNBC works. This is how Obama works and Rahm Emanuel. It's like any time somebody is critical of something they've done, they go right to ridicule. And they usually will target one person if they can. Because it's much better and easier to ridicule one person than it is to ridicule a whole bunch of people. Okay? Um, and and they, it's hard to counteract it. Okay, it just makes people mad, and, and then they start ranting and raving, and they'll they eventually trip over themselves and, and prove um, Alinsky correct. And then rule number six, a good tactic is one your people enjoy. If your people aren't having a ball doing it, there's something wrong with the tactic. So make sure they're having a good time. And that's why you'll see ACORN organizers get off the buses and chanting, and they're wearing red shirts, and they're playing bingo on the bus and winning prizes, so they're having a good time. They have no clue why they're even there, most of them. They have not read the health care bill. They don't care what it says. They're told what to do. They're paid $35, and they'll go do it. But they're having a ball. Number seven, a tactic that drags on for too long becomes a drag. Commitment may become ritualistic as people turn to other issues. So what do you do? You cause a diversion. You make sure that there's something else for people to concentrate on for a while because you don't want them to get too dragged down. And what you've seen happening with the town halls for the first three, two weeks of August, every night there's five, six, seven, eight town hall videos on YouTube. And this last week you haven't seen too many because it's a drag now. I don't want to see that anymore. You know, they're all the same. Everybody's bitching, blah, 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 blah. Um, um, so what does the right do? They start just going about their business again. <laughs> um, and the left is also getting a drag, getting, it's like, oh, I don't want to watch that anymore. We've been there. We did that. Commitment may become ritualistic as people turn to other issues. So it's more of a ritual than it is a mission anymore. <clears throat> okay, and that's exactly what they wanted it to do. So mainstream media made sure that they put all these things on over and over and over again because you don't want to see them anymore. Okay? Meanwhile, they follow rule eight. You keep the pressure on. You use different tactics and actions and use all events of the period for your purpose. Quote, the major premise for tactics is the development of operations that will maintain a constant pressure upon the opposition. It is this that will cause the opposition to react to your advantage. So, you use different tactics and actions and use all events of the period for your purpose. This is why we have Eric Holder now going after Bush and Cheney. This is why we have... Um, uh, all those documents about torture being released at the same time. This is why we have the AFL-CIO head being appointed to the Federal Reserve. This is why Obama took his vacation right now while Congress is gone, and he didn't decide not to take his vacation. Um, he had tried running around doing all the town halls, okay? That's that's having a ball, and it's, um, it's ridiculing and... Um, and then it became a drag, so you have to do something else, but you got to keep the pressure on because it overwhelms people. When you keep the pressure on, Rahm Emanuel will say, you know, never let a crisis go to waste. If you keep doing that, people get so overwhelmed they don't know what to do. I was on Facebook today, and I, I when I put all these, connected all these dots about what I'm going to tell you about pretty soon, I, I put it out there. He said, tell people they've got to read these things, and one person wrote me back, and she said, it's, it's too much. People can't do this, and they say, uh, so I tried to bullet it a little bit and get people interested. Maybe you can listen to this instead, put it, download it onto a CD. It's free. <clears throat> I don't get paid like Glenn Beck or O'Reilly or anybody else does, or Rachel or whoever you listen to. Um, but um, 
it was overwhelming. It is overwhelming, but it's not overwhelming for me, okay? Because I do this. This is this, I understand this from way back, and I saw it coming two years ago. I did podcasts. I, I I checked today to see if they're still up there, but I think um, I ran out of storage space on Podomatic or whatever, so some of them aren't there. But but way back to March of two years ago, I was talking about what was going to happen when this man who wrote this book ran for president, and what was going to happen to our country if we didn't pay attention. Okay, and so now it is. Okay, rule number nine: the threat is more terrifying than the thing itself. Now we have a threat of swine flu. And I know I read 20 things today about and heard from doctors today who said it's, you know, it's not even that much worse than a flu if you get the flu. <laughs> and you go through it for a week and you're kind of done with it. Um, but, but, and it's only killed really 456 people. And of those 456 people in the United States, 200 of them were already have a weakened immune system. And we lose more than that. We lose a thousand or so a year to just regular flu. So what comes across the bottom of the screen while Glenn Beck is on? Did you happen to notice that? And that's coming from the Fox News Channel. <laughs> the CDC says 90,000 people have died of the swine flu, and they expect to lose 1.4 billion or million or zillion in the world this year. That's not true. The threat is more terrifying than the thing itself. Now, why would you want somebody to be afraid? Because when enough people get afraid, like you see in the town halls recently, where people, especially seniors, are crying because they're afraid, the, the next thing they do after they feel helpless is they go to their government and say, save me. This way they can ensure that you get vaccinated. Not once, but twice. Not twice, but three times. Two times for swine flu and one time for regular flu. Um, all of those flu vaccinations probably contain cancerous cells in them because all vaccinations contain those. <laughs> so everybody will run to get that because they're afraid they're going to die. Um, and they haven't even tested it, and they won't have enough to go around, but they'll have 1.5 million, so they'll get, you know, or 150 million, whatever they said they're going to have. Half of the population in the United States is going to get vaccinated. That is, that's what's scary. But they're trying to scare you with the threat of death from the swine flu. Well, you know what? All the people who are working on this, and Tom Daschle, and Barack Obama, Tom Daschle is... Um, making millions off pharmaceutical lobbying. His wife is part of that. Uh, Barack Obama in, in 2006 invested more than $100,000 in shares of certain stocks for pharmaceutical companies and then passed a bill about the avian flu, which turned out to be a hoax, really, and uh, tried to scare everybody with that. So now we got the swine flu, but we don't want to call it that. We want to call it H1N1. Sounds much more like um, a mission then, doesn't it? The threat is more terrifying than the thing itself. When Alinsky leaked word that large numbers of poor people were going to tie up the washrooms of O'Hare Airport, Chicago city authorities quickly agreed to act on a long-standing commitment to a ghetto organization. They imagined the mayhem as thousands of passengers poured off airplanes to discover every washroom occupied. Then they imagined the international embarrassment and the damage to the city's reputation. Were there millions and large numbers of people that were going to tie up the washrooms of O'Hare Airport? No, but the threat was more terrifying than the thing itself. So he got done what he needed done or he wanted done. Number 10, the price of a successful attack is a constructive alternative. Avoid being trapped by an opponent or an interviewer who says, okay, what would you do? (laughs) Avoid being trapped by an interviewer who says, okay, what would you do? You don't ever answer those questions. You just go right back to... The words that you were using before, which you will see Obama do in every speech, go right back to the rhetoric and the teleprompter. Never has he answered 
who's paying for this? How are they paying for it? Who are the people on the board? Who wrote the bill? Why aren't they reading? He never answers any of those questions. Never yet. Okay, the main rule is this. If you can remember this, try to use it when you go to the town halls and when you show up for the 9-12 march on D.C. Okay, pick the target, usually a person of power. Freeze it. It means you got to somehow get right to that place, like if it's a newspaper person or a senator. Personalize it. Make sure that that person is eye-to-eye and talking to you about them, and then polarize it. Don't try to attack abstract corporations or bureaucracies. Identify a responsible individual. Ignore attempts, attempts to shift or spread the blame. The main job of the organizer is to bait an opponent into reacting. The enemy, quote-unquote, the enemy properly goaded and guided in his reaction will be your major strength. So if you can get an enemy to go ahead and do the stupid things you want them to do, you win. <laughs> and and this is, um, guess who taught this for two or three years in, in many, many parts of Chicago for a long time? Um, your friend of mine, President of the United States, he taught this strategy. Now, I don't see him as a president or a leader. And people go, well, he, we need real leadership here. And you'll, you'll see even the right wing saying, well, Obama needs to be a leader on this. No, 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 no. Obama told you exactly who he was. He was a community organizer. Every part of his agenda comes from a community organization. Okay? Um, you've heard about the Apollo Alliance? Well, sure you have, right? Do you know who's on it? <clears throat> Do you know about the czars? If you're listening to Glenn Beck, you do. If you're listening to anyone else, you don't. You don't know who they are, where they came from. Not just two of them are communists. This is a very socialist communist, but totalitarian ideology group that are that is in the Apollo Alliance. There's a real good place to go. It's the muckety-muck, um, <laughs> the muckety-muck uh, uh, map, I guess it's called. Um, and you just, you can... Uh, I don't have it right in front of me again. You know, I just have never just organized because I never know what I'm going to talk about. But anyway, I think you can Google Muckety and you'll get to the... Oh, here it is. Okay, in the Muckety.com. It's M-U-C-K-E-T-Y dot com. And um, M-U-C-K-E-T-Y dot com. Now you're going to crash their website because when you go on Muckety, you can put in a person's name or a business name or a group, um, whoever you want. <clears throat> okay? Um put in um just I'll just put in Obama, okay? You can put in a person's name and ask for all the relationships that person has. Let's go Barack Obama senior and ask for the map. Okay? And what it'll do is come up with everybody who's associated with them. First it'll start small, like Barack Obama uh, senior, that's Barack Obama the second now we go to, and you look at him, and you click on him, and you've got the Senate Committee on Homeland Security, um, A Mother's Promise, um, Sidney Austin, that's the, the group, the uh, law firm he was with, the U.S. Senate, uh, Brian Mathis, Davis Minor, and then you can go to some of these things like the 2006 election, nah, I don't know if that's a good one, um, uh, the 2004 Obama Senate campaign, double-click on that, and it'll give you all the people that were involved with that. And if you find people in there, like like uh, Brian Mathis or Joe Wurzelbacher or the tobacco regulation bill, you can, Bill Gates' last day video, uh, Columbia University, you can 
David Axelrod. Let's go here because he was very instrumental. He was the political strategist for Barack Obama, and we heard about what he did with emails, right? Um, everybody got caught up on the fact that a third party sent out all these spam emails, but I, what I want to know is where they got the addresses in the first place if they didn't get them from the White House. Uh, and nobody will ask that question. I don't know where the media is. I think they're overwhelmed. What do you think? I think that some of the tactics are working. So you go, you go to uh, David Axelrod, and and you got the financial markets bailout bill of ten, oh one, oh eight. Who? I don't think. Now, how was David Axelrod involved with that? Hmm. Okay, now you start seeing networks all over the place. Rahm Emanuel, he's part of that whole thing, so you double-click on him, and you can find out what his network is about. His network is so huge you can't read it. Richard Daly, um, Maya Sotoro, that's Barack's sister, and Dunham, which was Barack's mother, the Audacity of Hope, he was involved with that, um, Charles Ogletree, Peter Rouse, the Woods Fund of Chicago, Anyway, go to Muckety. You can spend years trying to figure all this out. And this is one of the reasons I think uh, Robert Gibbs is here, William J. Clinton. Hmm, jeepers. Um, but you can spend years going through that relationship map trying to figure out who's doing what for whom. But we've done some of it. And what you will understand about the Apollo alliances and, and Gamaliel, which is that um, GMA, G-A-M-A-L-I-E-L, um, and Acorn, and... H can and the SEIU is that they're all integrated and they all have the same agendas. It's just each one has a different priority. Okay, um, the Gamaliel said that one of the things they wanted was universal health care for everybody in the country, regardless if they were uh, uh, legal or not. By 2010, big rush. We got to finish this by 2010 because Obama worked for them and he promised. Okay, um, the Apollo thing is all about the greening of America. And when you go and read their agenda, you click on the Apollo Alliance and go read the agenda and read it. And you will hear the same words you've heard from Obama. He's not doing anything new. He's not thinking of anything. He says, okay, let's see now. This is for the cap and trade thing. This is for the cap and tax. And i got to take the agenda from the Apollo Alliance because they're the ones who supported me and I'm their puppet. And this is what we have to say because we have to convince people of this. And these are the... The people who are on that board are on the same boards who are on all the other groups that are organizing out of San Francisco around Nancy Pelosi's area. And then, and then you go, okay, so now about universal health care. Okay, we go back over to Gamaliel and we'll go over to, to the SEIU and you read their agendas and it's the same words he uses at every meeting. Um, and then you, you read the bill itself and you ask people who wrote it and it's not, uh, Glenn Beck said today it was the Apollo Alliance, but it's not just the Apollo Alliance. It's the people who are on the board of directors of Gamaliel and SEIU who wrote this and Hillary Clinton, who was in college a Saul Alinsky supporter and admired him and wrote her thesis paper on him. So she followed Alinsky's rules too. And, and this was, if you, if you followed Hillary Care 9, 10, 11 years ago now, um, the eyes did. And guess what? All they did was stick parts of Hillary Care into this other stuff that they've got going on. That's why nobody knows who wrote this bill. Okay, we're going to push for health care reform, and he's he's um, elected on November 7th or 9th or whatever it was, and by January 20th they already have an outline, and by, by um, June they have a 10,000-page paper. I'm a writer. I'm a published author. I can't write 10,000 pages in six months. 
I can't do it. And I'm a fast writer. I wrote a screenplay in 10 days. It won awards. But I can't write 10,000 pages in six months. Even if I work 24 hours a day every single day, I can't do it. Um, so, you know, and, and then on top of that, to write another bill, the uh, Captain Trade thing, that's another 10,000 pages. And how about to write the stimulus? And, oh, the omnibus. And the budget. And the bailout. And um, they wrote all these bills that nobody can read that are too long. They didn't write them. They throw their sh- their junk in there. They sent these people in these other organizations. These are the community organizers. They have an agenda, and they write these things out, and they send them to Congress via Obama and say, okay, Congress, add whatever you need to to make this work. And so the first time they, they get it, they say, oh, man, I got all this money. I'm going to do all this pork stuff and send all these things through because we're going to send it through as fast as possible because if we don't, unemployment could reach 8%. Well, it's 9.4, and some places it's 17 and 24 <clears throat> percent. And if we if we don't pass the omnibus, if we don't get another 800 billion out there, you know this is going to happen. And if we don't pass health care reform, we're we're going to go broke. The United States is broke. This is what should happen with health care reform. This is what you should be saying at your town hall meetings. Okay? You want a nationalization of health insurance so that people, that all health insurance companies can sell in every state. Is that going to affect somebody in Montana who only has one company who is selling them cheap? Probably. If they're only, if they're paying $80 a month for health care, it might go up to 82 because eventually over the course of some months, that same company is going to have so many clients that they'll be able to lower their premiums. Is it going to affect the person in New York who's paying $12,000 a year for health insurance? Probably. Because now that that company can go outside of New York, and New York's got the toughest laws on insurance, I'll tell you that. You can't sell half of what you do in New York anywhere else, and you can't sell anything from anywhere else in New York. Um, that person who's paying 12000 probably will only pay 8 and then maybe 7 and then maybe 5 So is it going to help them? Probably. That's the first thing. The second thing, which should be right on the same line, really, it's one and two together, is tort reform. How many people in Congress are lawyers? How many of them have said we need tort reform? Tort. Do you know what torts are? It's a, it's a segment of law. It's about how you, it's who you charge what with and how. And who goes to court and why. And, and they all get paid for it no matter what. That's what torts are. They need tort reform because lawyers are the ones who are making the money off all of this healthcare stuff. And then they need fraud. Inquiries, prevention, and prosecution in both Medicare and Medicaid. You have people who are living on four state, uh, four border states, bordering on four states. They live right there. Let's say they live someplace and there's three states around them. Who have friends in other, right across the border, ten miles away. They get in their new cars that they got from the clunkers program, drive across the border, and go to that address. And then they drive across the other border and go to that address and blah, blah, blah. And they're getting um, food stamps from four states. They, they're on Medicare. They're on Medicaid. At the same time, they're on Medicare because they know that the bureaucracy can't keep track of who they are and where they are. Okay? They have addresses from all over the place. I can tell you that if you looked in the Buffalo phone book, you would find me living in two places in Buffalo right now, and I haven't been there for 13 years. But the, but the phone books think I'm still there. <laughs> As a matter of fact, the court thinks I'm still there because they, they tried to get me to go to court to be on a jury, and I'm, I don't live there. So there's no way that I'm going to go to a New York federal court right now. Um, <clears throat> anyway, they've learned how to beat the system. And so if we could go after just those three things, and why, why not just those three things? You're going to save $80 billion on if you, if you overhaul and take care of the fraud that's going on in Medicare and Medicaid. 
if you do nationalization of of insurance, anybody who's working will be able to be to to afford their insurance. Anybody who's not working will go on Medicaid, which they should anyway. Anybody who doesn't belong here will should be should be checked to see if they belong here. Okay, and we're going to talk about that too just now because the next thing that's going to happen is immigration reform if it lasts beyond this next week or so. Um, and that's because this health reform bill says that everybody, regardless if they're legal or not, will, will, will be taken care of. Uh, the rush on our borders is going to be pretty intense. Free health care in the United States. Go now. It's free. It's on you and me. Make us all poor. We'll all be on Medicaid. No problem. That's the government option. It's not the, the public option. It's the government option. Okay. Now you put all of that stuff together and what this agenda has been from cap and trade to the stimulus to the pork to Nancy Pelosi and, and how all of these people on the Apollo Alliance have come out of the San Francisco Bay Area. What happened in Sacramento and why California almost went bankrupt is because the Sacramento, California legislature, uh, if you look at who's on the legislature in California, they're all from the same place. And their, their thing is if you collapse the economy, you can then take control. So it is a totalitarian, a totalitarian Totalitarian, oh, oh, must be getting tired. Totalitarian um, power grab that's going on. Okay, now it gets worse because it's all planned. All right, now we've been doing good things with town halls. What came out today is that the left is now going to reorganize, and um, actually, what they're doing is following the Tea Party Express, which is now parts of many, many coalitions that include the 912 coalition. Um, that's going to start up in Sacramento, California and work its way down through many cities throughout the United States and end up in Washington, D.C. on September 9th. And um, th that's the gathering place. September 10th, they will meet with senators and have press conferences. And September uh, 11th, um, do some more. And September 12th, there's a massive rally. Okay, now... The left is organizing its Follow the Tea Party Express, which is going to go to uh, all these different states, too, except they're busing people in. $35, I think, they each get to ride the bus, play bingo, and act like they're having a good time, wear the same color shirts, carry a lot of signs, and when you get there, you're supposed to go in and fill up those halls and fill up the outside areas and spread out and be as noisy as possible, make as much, much noise as you can, make sure that you settle in on your target, you freeze them, um, you go after them in any way that you can, you ridicule any way that you can, and, and whenever that senator or congressman says something good about health care, you make a lot of noise and make sure that mainstream media gets the, the word out that America is for health care reform and all those other people in August were right-wing, rightist, right fanatic people. What am I trying to say? Right-wing fanatics, um, fringe, that's what it is. It's a radical fringe. Um, and they're going to do that because they're using Alinsky's rules, all right? So they're going to show up at all those new meetings. Now, these are new meetings because these are the same congressmen and senators who refused to have town halls for the last three weeks because they were afraid of the right. So all of a sudden, there's 500 to 1,000 of them being planned throughout the United States right in line with the Tea Party Express. Okay, so you will see mainstream media playing. Look at this, man. There's thousands of people here. They're all saying yes. All those senators were right. All those people who came to those other town hall meetings were not representative of America. They were un-American, right-wing radicals. And then they continue on to Washington, D.C. They arrive in Washington, D.C. on the 8th, and the 9-12 Coalition and the Tea Party Express arrives there on the 9th. 
Well, let's see. Some of the senators are supposed to be out there on the 10th, but it's the 9th I'm worried about. And I want to tell you, this is where my spirituality comes in and where your Christianity or your understanding of the Mayan, Mayan calendar or um, uh, Nostradamus or anybody else you've ever listened to comes in. That day is 999. Nine, nine. Um, it's 999. Nine, nine. It's September 9th, 2009. In spiritual terms, that's a, it's, a, it's a re-initiation time. It's a revitalization time. It's when your third eye is supposed to be opened because it's crystallized and, and all those kinds of things. In... Um, biblical terms and, and Mayan terms, it's a, it's a, it's the beginning of a very changing time. But it's 999. And that's upside down. We all know what that is. I'm not going to go there. But then we have 911, another significant date, which has been, um, a bone of contention since that day. Everybody thinks on the left that it was an inside job, and everybody on the right knows that, yep, it probably was, but not by us. And um, and those of us who have fought for our country would fight for it again. Those who never would and never have would rather fight the people who try to protect us. So let's go after them whenever we can. So 9-11 is now going to change. It's no longer a day of mourning or understanding or remembrance of what happened on 9-11. It's going to be changed to a day of service by our president. Now, if you remember what our president and Rahm Emanuel said some months ago, they want to enlist the youth of America, that's anybody from the ages of 14 to 24 right now, to oh, spend three months or so in boot camp understanding what it's like and what they need to do to protect America. Barack Obama said he would like this to be funded. It should be stronger and more funded than our armies. Why would they do that? Okay, but they're going to enlist them on 9-11. The 9-12 coalition rally, when most of the people show up because they couldn't follow the buses because they're busy working, is on 9-12. Okay? So, I have, I have a prediction for you. There will be a war in Washington, D.C. between 9-11 and 9-12. It'll be instigated and the energy will become that will begin evolving from 999. Nine, nine. If you do not warn people and tell people that it is their responsibility to either be at the tea parties if they really can't get away or to get off their butts and get to Washington, D.C., then whatever happens on 9-11 to 9-12, um, you're just going to have to live with. Is it scary? Sure. Is it not scary? Absolutely. Because this is what's supposed to happen, yes, spiritually and, and um, historically. It is evolving into this. It might not be the war, but there's, you've just, I mean, let's be logical. If you have, I don't care if it's 10,000 or 300,000 people coming on the buses, and you have 10,000 or 300,000 people finding their own way to Washington, D.C. on 999 to 9 and 10, 9 and 2 is 11, and da-da-da-da. You, you go through all the numbers yourself and figure out numerology, but you have all these things going on, and, and they're on total opposite sides of the fence, and one side has no idea why they're there, but they're being um, uh, told what to do, and the other side knows exactly why they're there and have the passion and the anger to be there. What do you think is going to happen? I'm just going to leave it up to you. But don't be afraid of it. I'm going. I'll be there. I'll see you there for sure. Okay, 
And it's not because I have the time. It's not because I'm making lots of money. I certainly am not. It's not because I'm not going to leave people behind who shouldn't be left behind, an 85-year-old mother and a dog who just had his back broken and all that stuff. It's because I have a duty to my country to be there. Go to my Facebook page. It's, um, I don't know what it is. Just look up my name. You'll find me, okay? Twitter me. I mean, um, uh, Google me. Go to the Twitter pages. Go on the website, earthwalk-usa.com. Go from there, go to the health reform pages, go to the video pages, go to the Obama crimes pages, and scroll down to the bottoms of all of them. Look for all of the um, <clears throat> the videos. Look for the, the health reform bills. Look for where the look for everything. They're all out there. It's all there. It's been given to you for nothing, for absolutely nothing. And this is probably one of the last chances you're going to have to finally wake up. You can't wait till nine nine, and you can't wait till nine twelve. Uh, let's see. Yeah, I think that's it. Because I, if I collect, if I connect any more dots, you guys are going to get overwhelmed, like you already are, and um, you don't need that. But but you need to tell your friends. You need to email them. You need to punch them. You need to go to work. You need to print things out and carry it with you. Leave it on the lunchroom tables. Put it up on bulletin boards. You need to get people involved before it's too late. And, you know, once this all happens, if these things pass through and we're broke and the elite totalitarians are in charge, it can never, ever be reversed. So all of you people who are out there blogging, saying, I can't wait till 1212, you you really think there's going to be elections in 1212 if we let this go on? Mm -mm. I can't see it. I think the Constitution will no longer be there. And... Um, There'll be no constitutional law that says we have to have elections. So, if you're waiting for 1212, you're way too late. Okay? And isn't it perfect that this is exactly the person who was supposed to be here for this final transformation of the world, or the final changes of the end of days, or whatever you believe in? Um, yeah, things are sure changing, aren't they? And and this isn't, you know, is it all Obama? Obama's the puppet. He's the puppet. Guys, I mean, look at who's behind all these things and who's in these organizations that are behind it and who he's appointing and who he hasn't appointed. He has all these posts, 500 posts that nobody's in because he doesn't need them. Has it ever occurred to anyone? He doesn't need them. <laughs> he has 500 posts in his cabinet that have not been filled and he hasn't even thought about them because he has thousands in these other groups, in the Apollo um, uh Alliance and in ACORN and in SEIU and the AFL-CIO. He's got all, hundreds of thousands of people. What does he need to have a cabinet for? He's got a shadow government in case any of his people get taken over or defeated or get lost or change their minds. If if Congress thinks they're strong, forget it. He has a whole other Congress set up already. So if you're waiting to vote people out, um, that's not going to work. You need Congress to get scared enough of you. You need our government to be afraid. Because when the government's afraid, you have freedom. When we're afraid, we have tyranny. So we have to get enough people to make the government afraid. All right? And they better be afraid. Because <clears throat> uh, what else do we have? So figure it out. If you can't get there, you find ten people who can. And I mean put everything else down and spend some time doing it. Get some people who can be there, who can read up on what they need to, to learn or whatever you have to do. Be American. Do what you have to do. Don't be afraid, but get it done. Earthwalk-USA.com. This is Raina G. Thanks for listening.